everyone. Welcome to the third episode of the Data Literates podcast. In our podcast, we bring you real stories from real data literates around the world. My name is Jerry DeMasso. And I am Milad Toliadi. And we are your hosts. It's great to be back. Today, we're speaking with Farbod Nasiri. He's the Senior Human Capital Transformation Director at PwC. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Good, yeah. How are you? <laughs> yeah. Can't complain. Uh, early morning, each one. Yes, a, l- a little early. A little early. <laughs> Thank you for, uh, for joining us. Okay, maybe we start with an intro uh, about yourself, and then we get into the conversation, and me and Jerry are going to uh, interrupt you with questions. And we have this concept of intellectual disagreement that we try to, <laughs> uh, me and Jerry do it a lot, and we also uh, would like to do that with our guests on the show too. <laughs> I love this agreement. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's start that. Uh, so my name is uh, Farbod Nasiri. I'm a um, HR transformation consultant um, at the moment at uh, Coopers in Toronto. Uh, I've spent my uh, career past uh, seven plus years in, in really HR transformation. Anyone from thinking from HR op model of the organization, uh, things that they have to think through, um, anywhere organizations from, uh, you know, uh, thousand to hundred thousand employees, I think that an organization have to think through to provide the best services to their employees, um, to, especially in the day and age of, um, kind of, uh, the war for talent, um, to enhance productivity, enhance engagement uh, and run their businesses really. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with. A lot of financial institutions, um, professional services companies, oil and gas, public sector clients, healthcare, um, universities. So, um, what I'm hoping to provide insight today is is almost a lump sum average of my experience in this field. Sounds good. Good intro. So, uh, I think like uh, one of our focuses, uh, especially in the data literacy, what we are trying to focus is. Uh, okay, how do we build engaging, um, you know, career development uh, or skills development uh, paths, right, for people? And basically, um, you know, it's uh, Jerry's favorite topic too, uh, creating that experience for people that people enjoy work, people, uh, you know, become more engaged with work. But uh, what you're uh, bringing up is very interesting that how data can actually help designing this experience, right? Um basically a data literate HR, right? That's, that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> Not really, um, you know, making decisions based on gut feeling, but using the data to uh, design all those competency uh, and career path programs. So what, are, what in your experience, uh, how should that happen? What's the starting point? Because one of our, um, you know, areas that we want to focus is like, really implementation of things uh, for the show, you know, how, how to get started, what is the end in mind, especially, um, and then, you know, I'm sure people can connect the dots. Yeah, it's a, very, it's a very, very interesting topic. So maybe I'll start off with the fact that um, today there are a lot of structured and unstructured data under our fingertips um, about, about our employees and our, about our employees' uh, interests. Um, so when you talk about career paths, that's actually one topic that, especially in the world of millennials and now Gen X, uh, that's quite interesting because the, the highest reason for um, kind of talent turnover right now 
is people, especially the younger workforce, thinking that they're not engaged. They, you know, no matter how much salary you're paying them, it's, the work isn't interesting enough for them after a little while because they feel like ultimately, w- what is this work uh, kind of concluding to, and what's what's next for me? How can I can I be, be constantly challenged and and you know go forward with it? Um, and and th- that is a so that's a very important topic because obviously even even if you're a startup all the way to if you're a big corporation, it, right now you're in a war for talent. So and that career path is becoming ever more important for for the young generation. There are many ways to to really think about this. Um, there are actually cultural aspects to this uh, around um, the digital organization and and how that digital organization manifests itself to leadership. Uh, how do you how do you make sure um, you basically create a you know a workspace that people keep innovating? So you're you know, even if you're a startup or you're a big organization, how do you create these little hubs that keep innovating and feel like a small shop, an entrepreneur shop that keep keep developing new ideas? Um, so it, it, there's a culture element to this. Um, how you manifest decisions, making it very agile and quick. If you have an idea, let's get it started. Let's actually prototype it. Um, rather than going through hoops and hoops of decision making, and, and right now banks deal deal with this a lot, um, and it goes back to um, how do you make sure that uh, our leadership are supportive of this culture, and it goes back all the way to the C-suite of the organization. You know, CIOs, CFOs, CHROs, um, they, they need to work collaboratively together to make sure they bring this culture up. But at the same time, I talked so now let's bring the data to this. Mm-hmm. Um, the right now, um, the, the competencies of 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 these agile um, teams um, are, are are now available. Like based on our uh, based on our um, experience for the last you know five to ten years, we're dealing with this thing called network of teams, meaning that individual contributions, how, however important. Now we're realizing that there are team contributions that are becoming even more important, and, and measuring team performance. And on, on that on that same token, you know, on almost a career path for a, for for a team of people, what project to go on next, so on and so forth. These 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 competencies are becoming more available at an organizational level. You can actually set these competencies, but at the same time, you can actually create it at a down an individual level or a team level and localize these competencies anywhere from obviously being a certain programming language and development languages all the way to leadership competencies. These things are these things are are, are known and the repository of these are, are available internally or externally. The question becomes, how do you connect the dots? So within within an HR organization, how do you connect the dots for, for people, especially when, let's say, you're hiring a person um, and you're you're hiring it based on a set of competencies. Now, how closely are these competencies that you're hiring and doing an assessment on, how closely are they related to the competencies of your top team performance internally? If you have it, it you know, imagine you are, you're an organization of 1,000 employees, you have multiple teams and you hackathons constantly. And imagine you have one or two teams that always win or do always shine. Do you know their competencies? Like why do they really, really win? Can you define it? Can you articulate it? Uh, obviously, you could, you could use data as well to get to those points. But can you feed this 
to your talent assessment pool and make sure you assess based on these dynamic competencies. And you can actually do that all through system, by the way, nowadays. Um, once you do that, you assess them, you hire them, and then you basically dynamically, uh, based, again, based on this data, try to, uh, you have to have your job family sorted, you have to have your, um, you know, you have to think through how, based on the, what's, what's relevant in the market, um, what, what, what jobs, what, what teams, what projects um, are going to come to your organization next. But you can actually drive insight from this and actually suggest projects or career paths or um, projects to individuals uh, based on these competencies that they have and the competencies that they want to gain. So if I am, um, you know, imagine if I, I'm, I'm hired um, as a developer and eventually I want to move myself into um, product design and product ownership. Uh, you can actually go and say based on people that had the same competency uh, in the same role that they were hired in and now five years down the road they've actually taken on these product management roles in the organization. You, you can take these four courses or you can get yourself into these five opportunities to get there. And, and the, the data is available. You have to actually connect the dots between your yeah, your talent management, your your talent acquisition, and your career development. And if you do this, um, and obviously if you have meaningful data to actually contribute to this, um, by far you are creating a more engaging employee experience. So that was a, a bit of a long answer to your question, Milad, but hopefully, uh, hopefully you addressed it. No, I think that was great, definitely. <laughs> so. Uh... Maybe it's a silly question, but do you really think um, that um, you know investing on employee experience um, is worth it? It's a huge <laughs> it's a investment. Very, very good question. Because <laughs> I, I constantly, as a consultant, uh, get asked, and, and we have you know we, we sit down and do business cases, qualitative and quantitative, for uh, for clients to figure out is it really really worth it to um, invest in employee experience. Uh, we are living in a day and age right now that all of us, um, no matter where we work, um, we are having that um, we are having that consumerized experience every day, every hour, um, and we, we cannot possibly engage at any standard below that. If I can order something um, very very easily on Amazon, and if I can hire a car. Uh, my Uber, uh, at Uber, like instantly, and if everything is so easy and accessible for me, um, it's just unacceptable for me that if I, you know, go and, and now work, go to work, and you know, I'm spending 12 hours at work, my experience is anything below that. What happens is that automatically I'm not engaged anymore. Um, I, I just don't care about it, and ultimately, if something doesn't contribute to my productivity, I'm not going to adopt it. And, and the, the more this, you know, this, this endemic becomes uh, kind of uh, outstanding and employees honors, I realize that, you know, they, they're not getting that experience there and the further disengaged they become, especially in the day and age of Warford, like Warford talent, and this is real. I mean, you guys are, are living it in, in New Jersey. A lot of folks are living it in, in um, the, Bay, the Bay Area. We're living it in, in Toronto. Uh, that lack of engagement and adoption, um, especially of, of organizations' culture. Imagine you're you're just a you know, new hire with a lot of potential coming to this organization, realizing that 
you know, you just having the, the suckiest experience anywhere you go into this organization, anything from doing the basics to having conversations, having, you know, decent career path discussions and, and, and performance discussions with your boss. Um, you know, you want to go and, and sign up for, for um, just little uh, uh, learning opportunities, anywhere from courses to all these micro learning opportunities. They're just they're not there. Ultimately, you're, you're just a disengaged employee. And there are so many researches that have done, um, later Sarkar was reading about IBM, that actually literally quantified this. And they, they just said, we are a, you know, especially there are, they have a lot of clients and they're, they're, they're in also in consulting business. And they realized that employee experience um, is almost costing them 40% um, of, impacts 40% of their revenue. So they've done an experience of saying, if I, for, for, for the portion of our employees that are fully engaged, we're realizing we're getting 40% better throughput out of them. And, and that's reflective of obviously the sales uh, that they're doing on, on their, um, consult, on, on their consulting engagements, further sales, um, so on and so forth. So a lot of it has been quantified. Um, so that the, sh the sh short answer to your question is definitely, um, the, the, what, what organizations have to really think through is because it, it's a fancy word, employee experience. Um, where do they want to invest their invest their efforts and time to enhance employee experience? Um, and and it, it's not about having you know tons of systems. Not about necessarily going and checking on everyone and, and, and making sure everyone is having a great experience. It's it's about creating an experience in the flow of work. Meaning, if I am doing something, and if I if I want to, at the same time, you want to get some pulse surveys from me, and and you want to make um, you want to make me sign up on certain things, and you know, let's say there are HR activities that I have to do, it has to be done through the flow of work without even noticing it uh, that I'm doing it. And I think that's the most successful projects that I've seen in in employee experience. That's interesting because I, I had two more questions. I think you kind of uh, answered. Both of them. One was, uh, how do you uh, measure basically the ROI of uh, employee experience? And uh, you had an example for that. My second question was basically, it's uh, again, it's uh, almost like stating the obvious, but uh, is it is that really the case that companies don't know what makes their employees' experience better? And if that's the case, what what stops them to immediately you know do something about it? It, it goes back to the fact that uh, how do you define employee experience? Um, how you do know, you define employee yeah. experience? <laughs> <laughs> it, it goes back to the organization's culture. It, it really, really back, go, goes back to your DNA and, um, and the nature of the work that you're doing. I mean, if you are, let's say, a utilities company, if you're a manufacturing company, what would you define as employee experience is significantly different than if you're a financial institution. But what I... You know what I boil it down to when I normalize it to is some some key attributes. Um, I I I go and, and measure employee experience in enhanced adoption, in enhanced engagement, um, in 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 further innovation, in further participation in in things that are voluntary. I mean, if if it's a matter of um, you know uh, a, a voluntary. Uh, activity or project that has nothing to do with your day-to-day -day job and work and, and see how much, you know, what's that uh, turnout looks like and, and how, how much people are engaged to do this. These are the things that I call 
um, kind of attributes of, of good employee engagement and, and employee uh, sorry uh, experience. So that's what I and, and you can there are so many metrics that you can go on and measure this on, right? Um, if you are anywhere from let's say you've, you've created a program, um, you've created a program. It could be let's say you've, you've created a wellness program. Right, so you are a new organization. You want to attract new talent, and you said, um, "I'm uh, basically creating this wellness program. Um, kind of um, mini exercises, challenges. We have different groups, and they do participate in challenges. And whoever has the highest amount of exercise within a week or month or whatever, they they, they win this prize. Um, you can you can obviously." Going back to data and workforce data, you can now easily, easily measure this level of engagement and part in, and um, um, which contributes that experience. And and now start measuring productivity based on that. So teams that have participated in these programs, uh, how how more productive they have been. And you know you can have these defining their performance um, plans to say, for instance, if I'm talking about a, a team of you know sales folks versus if I'm talking about Folks that are, let's say, on a shop floor and, and making certain things, and so their throughput is measured. Um, you can you can you can measure it and connect the dots. So going back to your earlier, you know, uh, question. Imagine you have initiatives that you think are contributing to employee experience. Then you can actually go and define it and say, well, I'm going to say, um, you know, I'm going to see it through the lens of productivity and engagement. Um, and, and you know participation. Then you're going to go and define these metrics and say, how do I make sure I understand people who are really engaged and, and really are, 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 are we think that um, they're really into this program? And you go measure that. And then you, you run it for a longer period of time and see and measure productivity of these folks and see how how has that changed. And you know, obviously you can always do, do these things in pilots and pockets. And and you you, you know six months down down the road you bring back the insights and say. These teams that were we, we thought they were more engaged because of, of whatever we did that enhanced their experience, actually their throughput was 30 or 40 percent higher. Maybe now let's actually expand this product to a broader population of employees. And and there are so many use cases of this um, that are out there, from from airline industries um, to um, to financial institutions. Uh, there are many many use cases for this, and they've all seen extremely positive results. We're going to take a quick break, everyone. Hope you've enjoyed the episode so far. Please make sure you subscribe to our channels at Data Literates. Okay, now back to our conversation with Farbode. So, Jerry, I think... Um one of the topics that you know, we talk about is, you know, creating that skills development program or data literacy program in organizations. And when we talk about that, we're targeting the whole enterprise, right? From business users to executives to developers, business analysts, all of them, right? Yeah. And one of the challenges is that, okay, you may design a perfect program in terms of resources, in terms of uh, the flow. Um, you have, you know, like a, probably a portal, you have, uh, you know, all sorts of videos and, you know, PDFs, whatever, right? 
uh, access to mentors. Uh, but adoption of that program might be a challenge, right? And I think from what I'm hearing is, um, maybe that can be a discussion, that if you don't have a good employee experience in general in your organization, uh, maybe that data literacy program, uh, you know, the adoption for that program might not be high because you have two options. You can force people to go through that program, right? Or you can just say, hey, this is something available out there. We want to make you, you know, make better decisions at the end of the day. Hey, you know, sign up for this program. Um, you know, whatever academy, like the name of your company, Academy, right? right. Data Academy. Uh, so, and, and I also think there is a, another correlation. If you invest on data literacy programs, that might that might impact your employee experience because they may think that, oh, you're investing on them, you're, uh, you know, basically everything is about data these days and you want them to become more data literate and they will appreciate it. So let's talk about that, like these, the relationship between these two. That's definitely, it's interesting that you actually say that. It, it um, triggers some other thoughts uh, for me for, around how to enhance um, learning within an organization and, and, you know, kind of push learning to individuals um, while making sure um, they're still engaged. Right. Um, right now, there are so many uh, innovations happening in that, in that uh, um, segment of, of learning. Um, you know, organizationally, you used to have these, you know, classrooms and, and you know, classes that you have to go and enroll and programs that would take like a week from someone. Um, and it was very, very questionable whether you got the return for investment on, on all those learning programs. I mean, you're, you're taking away your employees that are paying them a lot um, for a good chunk of time um, and you kind of unplugging them and, and you spend so much in these courses. So you're really, really hoping and crossing your fingers that, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay back. And um, a lot of organizations are realizing that it, it's this, this, old school classic way of learning is uh, is just not paying off. So many opportunities right now to change that experience. Um, in the concept of peer-to-peer -peer learning. So I am, imagine you have a, you have a few individuals that are really, really into a topic and you actually call them subject matter experts. Um, why not giving them opportunity to create content and, and, and push that to the rest of their folks and peers? Very much um, similar to social networking, um, you know, very much like professional networking within the organization, you actually push learning content from peers to peers and, and, and enhance engagement like that. Uh, another concept of micro-learning, learning, so meaning just, uh, you know, bite-sized learning uh, in the flow of work rather than you, let's say, creating a um, data science program or data science 101, um, you know, and, and take, you know, employees for, for a good few days to just fully immerse themselves in the program. Why don't you chunk it up into manageable pieces and just within the flow of work, just push like these five minutes, 10 minute things to your employees without them even realizing they're participating in a big, big broader program or course. Um, there are so many ways right now, and, and you can, by the way, make this all um, smart. So if I am, depending on the role that I'm taking this organization, imagine, um, and uh, I'm just moving away from data literacy to any other um, sort of a learning opportunity. Imagine I'm a new manager in an organization. Based on my role and based on the interests that I've shown in my account profile, 
Um, you can actually push these certain learning opportunities to me, like Amazon pushes new products to people saying, well, people who've been in, bought this product, like these other products too, you might want to actually consider them. Um, going back to that concept that I earlier talk, talked about around um, in the flow of work, you want to make these things also in the flow of work without people realizing that necessarily they're learning something new or without people realizing that they are you know, moving away from day-to-day -day job and doing something else. You can actually feed these little things and, and down the road go and measure the results. And if you realize that you know, it didn't really pay off the way you want it, you haven't invested a significant ton. You haven't really unplugged again, all your employees to go and, and join a program or, or class. You, 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 know, you, can, you can now tailor these micro-learning opportunities or your you know, peer-to-peer learning opportunities and shift it and, and again, measure results. It's just easier to manage. I hope this this answer part. No, of your that's question. that's actually perf perfect because uh, we also believe in a concept that we call it social learning, and you know the fact that how you can uh, learn from peers, how you can you know be part of an, an ecosystem that you know you're generating content internally. But one of my questions is. Uh, is there any like scientific proof for, for this or experimental proof? Like, is that a new thing? Uh, we still need to wait until you know some ROIs come out. Uh, is there any you know data to back this up? Uh, there's certainly when we say scientific, I, I don't think um, you know right now. We, I don't think organizations would, would would not really have time to wait for a scientific. Um, proof to come out. Right now, it's more around uh, like an agile experimentation. Mm -hmm. You go and pilot something uh, and see if it works. And if it works, maybe, you know, it, it, obviously there are lessons learned for that pilot and go on and expand the pilot or maybe make some tweaks to it. And based on that, there, there are tons of, um, tons of uh, use cases around this, this concept of mark learning. Um, you know, this is, this is anywhere from like a lot of the, a lot of the manufacturing guys and a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, people in, in blue collar environments have, have created this. So instead of, you know, imagine, obviously they're, they are on board the employees and there are like, you know, the, 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 the typical safety and compliance training that you have to do those basic training things that you have to do. But then you go and, and now, for instance, you, you want to learn new skills. And, you know, there are so many use cases that they've actually chunked this out into, so, like, you know, first, you know, learn this skill. And, um, you know, just, just continue doing that. And then maybe in, in a week or two, so a notification is sent to you, and now learn some part two of that skill that you already learned. Um, and you can easily, you know, throw in mini tests and experiments uh, in there to, to make sure that, yes, they're learning and, and you know, they're, you're, they're achieving the results that you wanted. Um, the, the most important part is it's not going to necessarily cost you arm and leg. If you, if you take smaller steps and if you pilot, you're already mitigating the risk of a significant investment uh, and uh, really crossing your fingers that it, it pans out. Um, so I, I think, yes, the organizations have certainly um, you know, realized the benefits of the investment in, in, in social learning. Um, there are obviously... Um, implications and considerations, right? Um, you have to, you have to really go and figure out who do I open this whole uh, content generation to. And I have to obviously monitor it and have a tap on it, mm -hmm. especially if you're dealing with a bigger organization. 
um, making sure that whatever content is provided still is aligned with my corporate strategy and what I really want to do. So it's it's not necessarily um, an open door, generate whatever content uh, and learning opportunity. You have to absolutely monitor and have a pulse on it. And you also have to, again, link it to your backbone, you know, learning management system and, and backbone, um, you know, you still have to have some classes of some sort. Um, but you, you, you can experiment and expand um, as you see fit. Sounds good. I, I know that we're kind of out of time. So maybe I ask my last question. Um, do you have like any interesting example about, you know, any type of organization uh, that are very successful at this type of, um, you know, skills development or, you know, basically creating adoption to their culture or, you know, any, any interesting story that you think our audience is going to benefit from it? Um. I do. Um, it's it's interesting. Um, it, it's it's around um, culture of um, let's say customer service, and and um, and and how data has has uh, enhanced that. So a great example is uh, that I that I realized from you know, a few years ago. Um, this company, so uh, Foot Locker, um, obviously many many. Um, branches in in US and uh, joint forces with this company called Infor, and Infor is a very well known um, workforce management solution company. So what they provide is anything to do with um, you know managing your day to day um, uh, kind of uh, labor. So clock in, clock out, uh, kind of um, any sort of leaves that you want to. Um, kind of uh, sent for approval. This is a traditional workforce management, but obviously now it's, it's about like me- measuring productivity, time on the job, so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a, when I, when I heard this story and when I actually kind of listened to it, um, it, it was not, I couldn't connect the dots immediately. But Infor has this now new competent, new, new uh, module or new tool uh, called Talent Science. And what they do, they go and um, they go and measure, um, you know, flexible, the, the example that I uh, brought up earlier, um, if you have teams that are very successful, or you have, in this case, stores that are very successful and, at sales and customer service, they went and, and, you know, measured like 18 attributes that contributed to this, this um, team's um, enhanced customer service. It's like, why are these guys just so good at what they do? And they, they measured these 18 attributes, and uh, they tested it, obviously, and, and they realized that, you know what, like teams and, and stores that had this were also very, very successful in, in customer service. And again, you can easily see the results based on you know, net volume of sales. Um, and then they said, okay, how, why not we actually push this to our talent acquisition? We were going and hiring people, and they're young people, necessarily not skilled workers. Um, why don't we actually measure before going and interviewing now nationally, let's say, you know, 400,000 employees, why don't we actually go and, and push this to our um, town assessment tool and kind of um, uh, weed out some and, and just narrow down our list of um, candidates to from 200,000 to, let's say, 20,000 or maybe even less. And then ask, you know, our, our um, uh, recruiters to just interview those pockets. And they did that, and they and then they said, okay, so we hired these these particular individuals. Now let's see how they perform. 
and they and they go back in and, and measuring their again their throughput, their productivity, and their obviously self skills. And they realized that again, in this was a study for a good year or two. They realized that there is a significant increase in that perform team performance based on just closing the loop on on measuring who your you know high skill good people high performers are, pushing that to your talent acquisition, hiring them, and now. Also, based on those attributes, now go on and train the rest of the folks. Um, and and um, and if, they, if they, when you close that loop, you see a significant result. So that was when I when I heard this story it was actually quite quite interesting. And now a lot of companies in 2018 are are, are following that foot uh, uh, path. It's not as easy as, as I as I say it is. Obviously, in, in for for this to happen, you really need to a, a network of obviously. A, a data scientist and, and business analyst to focus particularly on this project, but I think it it uh, it does pay off. So, one last thing I think it just came to my mind. I think it, it might be an interesting question for you too. So, uh, if you are a CEO of a company, um, what are the probably like three things or five initiatives that you would start with or consider or invest heavily uh, in the context of data literacy skills development? Uh, in general, um, good, good question. So uh, let's see how many I can come up with. It. I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, um, first and foremost, like um, like anything else in in, in your organization, you really got to figure out um, what problem you're trying to solve. And so, if I'm a CEO of a company and, and I really want to create um, data literacy, yeah, maybe I'll step it step back and say. If you really want to uh, enhance that create of data-driven organization, and if you just want to establish that culture, um, what do I do? So first, I'm actually going to go on and figure out what problem do I have that I want to solve. And that's very, very important. And obviously, getting a buy-in from my next line in, in, in command, which is like you know my, my CIO and my COO and, and CTO, and making sure that they're fully aligned, that there is a business problem that I want to solve. Then I got to go back and, and figure out: um, Do I have the right skill set to to do that? Um, and if I especially want to, you know, enhance things in, internally, I have to create the program and and pods that um, that are are really to have that mandate that are successful in doing it, and, and making sure the people that I have have the right skill set to do it, have the right service delivery model and operating model to do it. Um, so if I am creating and I, I, I smart I start small right so I, I would start a maybe you know start with few individuals with the mandate of growing data literacy and, and going and figuring out for you now what are my most important problems that I want to solve I mandate that mandate this team with an assignment to, to that to those problems and um, and and create a maybe a true a pod concept as in like you you go you know figure it out, but you don't necessarily have to go and get tons of approvals. Just start small, pilot something, and then expand. Uh, and then once once that starting small works, then I, I eventually formalize the program. Um, so bigger organization is a concept that that, that whole uh, center of excellence concept, and that now you, you have this center of excellence in the, in the organization that if other teams that are decentralized or doing their own things now realize that they have a problem, um, and they want to create either um, kind of enhance their own data literacy or they have actually data problems or, or initiatives that they want to get the, the center of excellence to work with them and, and solve them, 
they, now they know that there's that that center exists and um, and they can tap into. Um, so th this is you know this is at the bare minimum um, what I what I think uh, is is necessary for organizations to be successful. Obviously. You need to. You always have to look external as well. You have to, you know, obviously figure out what organizations that have done it right or wrong. Um, you know, go and study them. Go and, and you know talk to them. So if that CEO wants to, they, he needs to go and talk to his peers that have already done it and been down that path uh, to figure out what worked and it didn't work. Um, and uh, you can always uh, start with with also seeking external help. Um, and external help and, and trying to maybe establish the first few and, and then um, learn with it. So that's that's another opportunity you can do. Well, sounds good. I mean, sounds like a competent CEO. I would work for that company. <laughs> 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 nice. All right, Farwood. Uh, Jerry, do you have any other questions? Or uh, Farwood, do you have any closing thoughts? Anything that you uh, wanted to talk about and you know we didn't have a chance to talk about it? Uh, not nothing from my end. Uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. Uh, you know, it was a great way to start uh, my Monday. But, uh, <laughs> I, I love love the topic, uh, and uh, I'm I'm really really hoping that uh, it, it triggers some good thinking for for people. Definitely, I'm sure uh, our audience would love that. We would love to have you again on the show. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks again. Me. Yeah, great job. Thank you guys. Have a great one. All right, you, you too, too, man. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, fellow data literates, that was our episode for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, please share and subscribe so you can catch us next week as well. Thank you. This episode is sponsored by the Data Literacy Foundation. You can find their website at dataliteracyfoundation.org.